you guys ever have an issue with uh, with people you work with, like talking, like saying bullshit about you to management? That's like not true. Uh, no, because I am the management. So <laughs> that's literally what I was gonna say. <laughs> he said no because I am the one in charge. That's fair. <laughs> what's the um? What's the 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 famous line? I am the one who knocks, or whatever. Yeah, I'm the one who knocks. <laughs> That's from uh. What the fuck is that from? Oh, I was I was just being dramatic. That's from uh, Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Hmm. But it's from something talk. else too, right? Oh no, that's the first time I heard it because they were talking about danger. Him and Skyler, and he's like, "Skyler, I am the danger. I'm the one that knocks. Whatever, blah blah blah." Mm. That's all I know. Um, and then he dies. No, it's just from Breaking Bad. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I could have swore that that was from like I don't know. Maybe maybe he's like talking about like. The postman always knocks twice, and like he's like, I am the one who knocks. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Maybe that's why I thought it was something. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just a fucking idiot. I mean, that's also possible. No. Listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of Culture Pop. We have quite a show for you today. I've gone down a couple of weird rabbit holes over the course of the last couple of months, and this week we're going to start talking about one in depth, and we'll probably have a sister topic next week. Um, on top of that, you say something, I burp, and now we're derailed immediately. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember the last time we were able to get out of the intro without any sort of disruptions? No. Uh, yeah. But those like episodes, episode yeah, but they were a lot less fun. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's very true. Um, well, anyway, on top of that, we're going to be talking about a couple of really, really excellent movies in Sound of Metal and uh, the newest Evangelion. Uh, we'll have some thoughts on some games as well. Oh, uh, as well. Yeah, I don't know how to f- structure a sentence. Yeah. You're doing we'll great. have some thoughts People on some games as well with The Wild at Heart, Splitgate, and Final, Se- uh, la, 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 uh, uh, uh. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Man, drinking should never be allowed on this podcast unless I'm drinking water. I thought I am, come to of that course. conclusion already <laughs> numerous times. M- m- yeah, uh, like way too many fucking times. <laughs> um, I am, of course, your host, the one and only Bebop man, Josh McMullen. And I am joined, as almost always, by my two co-hosts, Dylan Moby Dick Studios Martin and Austin I Love Bees Stevens. How's it going to Jesus? 
You gave me like some big slanging dick fucking title and you gave Austin frolicking through the fields shit. It's wild. I'm actually oh terrified God. of bees, believe it or not. They spook me. Are you actually? Yeah. Anything that flies and can sting me, I don't like it. But, <laughs> I mean, that's respectable. But bees are important to our ecosystem. So it's okay. Yes. I give them a However, wasps can they go are not. right off. They, yeah. yeah. No, fuck, fuck right off. Uh, I got no issues with them. I'm not one of those people that, you know, kind of like tries to get out of a way of a wasp. I'll just kind of stand there and let it do its thing. But like mm -hmm. they are no like useless. <laughs> I'll stand there. But like if it gets too close to me, I'm going to swat at it. I'm going to hit. It. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not swinging on it because then I'm just going to piss it off already. Like <laughs> that's true. Oh that's why God. you use your hat, bro. You get a better uh Bigger I don't. Well, first off, I will say this too. I don't. It is just in my personal, you know, my creed. I don't kill anything. I don't kill flies, wasps, gnats, uh, anything that's an inconvenience. And in my personal space, I just don't kill it. That's oh, that's me. crazy. Yeah, I capture it and I set it free. Uh, I'd probably kill a snake if I saw one. If I wasn't too nope. busy having a panic attack after seeing one. That's so. F I mean, but. Oh, it's a whole topic, but why? Why? Because you're scared of it? Yeah, be, yeah, honestly, yeah. No, okay, like, so honestly, if I just see one out in the wild, I'm not going to fuck with it. I'm, I'm just like, okay, but if I catch one in my house, no, nah, it's dead. You don't have to kill it, though. You can just relocate it, and then nah, it can go dead. about its business. Well, it I'm, came in my home and didn't pay rent. It's dead. <clears throat> it's also the devil's animal. It is true. Read a Bible, <laughs> Dylan, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have read plenty of fiction in my life. I'm more like biographies <laughs> oh, now. Boy. Stuff like that. Listen, oh. I am fully with Austin on this one. I fucking hate snakes. I can't. I can't. What is wrong with snakes? Dude, they're, they're kind creepy, of fucking they are, Yeah, they're creepy, dude. They're like this thing that moves without legs, and it's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Like, the, like I went, okay. Ugh. I went fishing the other day, all right? And I'm just fishing by the bank. It's nice and hot, and lo and behold, come and swimming up next to me. It's a nice, you know, I don't know if it's a brown snake or a copperhead. Either way, I was like, that's kind of sketch. I'm going to go about my business. But as I went about my business, he went about his, and we were perfectly fine with one another. Yeah. I didn't have to kill it. Okay. I understand it comes in your house. You got to take care of business. You got two kids, whatever. Fine. But like, you know, if you see one upon your travels, you're not going to go out of your way to harm it. Oh, I would. Uh, no, if I'm just like, if I'm like, if I'm going on a hike, which, you know, would never fucking happen, but right, if I was almost for setting, yeah, like Madison suggested we go on a hike the other day and I was like, who, do you know who you're talking to? Dude, right. Like, did you awesome. fucking look And I'm around. sure that they are. I'm sure that they're beautiful and they're a fun experience, but I will never know. Well, you should try it. The graphics are pretty great. You might enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Um, I don't, I don't, maybe one day. Maybe when I just feel like, you know, if somebody came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to go on a hike? And it was a day that I had literally nothing else to do. Yeah, I'd probably do it. I just feel like snakes deserve would. better. It depends on what's going on that day, man. Yeah, maybe. I don't Truly. know. Snakes don't deserve better. They are literally the devil's animal. Dude. No. I mean, what does that mean? If I see there, one in the wild, I'm not going after it. But, like, if it starts coming after me, then, yeah, nah. Like, I'm going to try to kill it. No, nah, fuck it, dude. If if I see one coming towards me in, in a forest, I'm burning the whole goddamn forest down. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
He said, fuck this biome. You know how I got put on a list last week for like crashing planes in a video game? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, the, <laughs> now the, I'm on a list for like yeah. creating. Yeah, exactly. You are That's absolutely cool. on a domestic terrorist list. <laughs> Somebody's out there like, did this motherfucker set the fires in California? <laughs> All like, I'm saying. Somebody is really just waiting on you to slip up. Just like Draco Malfoy, you know, he was in Slytherin, right? He didn't necessarily, it's fine. He didn't necessarily, you know, he always came across as this, you know, narcissistic asshole. And then, you know, come to find out he has a troubled home life. He has all these great expectations thrown on him. He's a broken kid. In his heart, deep down, he's probably a good kid. He's a Slytherin. The house, you know, that's a snake. I mean, they're good people. The snakes are okay. You got to give them a chance. Like that was no, the perfect. No, they're not. No, ah. snakes are evil, pure and simple. Even like people who have pet snakes, bro. There's millions of fucking stories of those snakes. Like, like uh, I was reading a story like what is it, a long fucking time ago, um, but it was like this dude talking about how he used to like at night he would let his snake out and just like be in the room with him at night, and then he'd wake up in the middle of the night, and the snake would just be fucking staring at him. And he noticed that the snake, you know, went days and days and days without eating, took it to the vet. And the vet's like, yeah, he's sizing you up, bro. That's exactly what this motherfucker is doing. He wants to eat you. This snake, it can't. It just can't. Unless this is some 20 foot long. No, absolutely not. Okay. So like snake can have big ambition, but he's not getting anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) He can have dreams. They might not be fulfilled, but he can still have them. Snakes are snakes are cool. We're just looking at the extremes here. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's got the phobia. Madison's I've seen anaconda me for too one. many times to agree yeah. with you. you. You've been what too many times? I've seen anaconda too many times. Why? Because J Lo is in it. That's why. <laughs> oh That's a pretty good reason to watch the movie. Honestly, I can pull you up a video on YouTube and make your life easier. <laughs> Oh, boy. So, listen, how do you want to go about this? Because, Dylan, you don't have anything to talk about. Yeah, I've I not have been doing things. fuck all. What? I said I've not been doing fuck all. Like, yeah, I'll just no, say that, haven't. you know, we, this is the part of the podcast where we segment into what we've been doing this past week. I have worked. I have played video games, neither of which I can talk about in this very moment. So I'm just going to go quiet for the next hour. Well, you know what, Dylan? Tell us about your job. Uh, no, let's sucks. not. Josh said, no, bad idea. Don't yep. want to hear it. We're, Josh, we're, trying to, we're trying to get out of here at a reasonable time. I am going to be an adamant host. I'm going to be a fascist host this time. Okay, go ahead. We're, we're, we're making this. We're, You're off to a great start. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, we, we just spent <laughs> 20 minutes talking about snakes. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, eh, not 20, maybe like snake six. lives matter. I'm exaggerating. All right. Uh, anyway, I have three things. You have one thing, Austin, and Dylan has zero things. No. How do you want to break this up? Do you want me to just ramble through all three of mine and then you go? Do you want to go first or do you want to like break up mine with yours? Um, you know what? I'll go first because I have been dying to fucking talk about this movie to somebody because I don't know anyone else that's watched this movie other than the one dude in the discord. Yeah, I'll be getting to it. I promise. We've already talked about this one day. So, okay. So the Evangelion, the final Evangelion film finally came out this past Friday. And I was super stoked that that shit came straight to Amazon Prime because I would have gone broke going to see that movie in the theaters. Um, I've already watched the film five times and I'll probably do it again tomorrow. I watched it today. Um, But the reason why I've watched it so many times is 
as corny and cliche as it sounds, like there has never been a piece of fictional media that has ever meant as much to me as Neon Genesis Evangelion has. And I, I can't really fully explain it. Uh, the story of that series just, it, it resonated me on a much deeper and emotional level than any fictional story that I've ever read, heard, or played through. Um, and now it's finally here. The, the, end of, the end of a franchise that started in 1996 is finally here. And while I have some issues with the movie, uh, really one specific scene in particular, um, I can't tell if the CGI in this scene was done really bad or if it just made me violently uncomfortable. Um, pretty much the scene is just a CG render of this huge, like, planet-sized white woman but they, she has like photo realistic eyes. Like it looks like somebody just took a picture of someone's eye and colored the iris red and then just plastered it onto that CGI model. And it is extremely fucking unsettling. That whole 10 minute sequence unnerved the shit out of me. And I have no idea why. Um, like I said, I don't know if it's shitty CGI or if it just fucking made me uncomfortable. But the rest of the movie was absolutely fantastic. Um, it manages to share a lot of elements with the original ending of the series being the end of Evangelion film. But it also manages to tell its own unique story that by the end of it, to me, really made this movie or really made these four rebuild films feel like the story that Hideaki Anno wanted to tell the whole time. Um the ending of the original series uh, with End of Ava was clearly, Shinji was clearly meant to be a representation of Anu and his rapidly declining psyche. Um, and while the ending in this movie still feels like a representation of Anu, it, it feels like, it feels like it represents his recovery, almost. Like his moving on and saying goodbye to what is undoubtedly the greatest thing this man has ever fucking created. Um... Uh, the movie picks up right where the previous film left off. Uh, Shinji, Asuka, and Rei just kind of walking around a, a ruined and destroyed Tokyo before uh, they're rescued by a villager who takes them to a local village that is literally just full of refugees that have managed to find their way here after the big calamity and are just trying to live a no as normal of a life as they possibly can with everything else going on around them. Um. And it's this part of the movie that has some of the most powerful fucking sequences in the entire film. Um, this whole section of the movie, Shinji is just kind of sulking, which isn't really uncommon because that's kind of all he does in the entire franchise is just kind of sulk and wallow in a corner and cry to himself because his life is so bad, which in retrospect, it's pretty fucked up. Every person's lives in these films, in, in this series, is pretty fucked up. Um, but Shinji is wallowing in his own sadness, seeing the kind of world that he created with his own actions at the end of the second film, and he's still kind of trying to come to terms with the fact that while he was trying to do a good thing, he ended up literally killing a majority of the world's population in the fucking process. Um, and he's wallowing so bad to the point where he's starving himself, literally just trying to die. He wants people to leave him alone. He just wants to sit in a corner, starve himself to death and just fucking die. Um, 
And then uh, there's a scene with Oscar, and she basically just kind of has had enough of him just wallowing, and she ends up strangling him and just forcing food down his throat, literally on top of him holding his jaw open and just slamming food down his throat, uh, exclaiming that just because he caused this does not give him the right to sit and sulk and not do anything to uh, help a world that he basically single-handedly fucking ruined. Um, there's also a really beautiful sequence with Ray, who is a, a half clone of Shinji's mom and half alien deity that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, but they, they use this time in the village to teach her uh, how to live like a human and what normal humans do. She ends up working in a crop field and learning how to grow crops and manage stuff like that and she's living with a family and learning how families operate and this is where another really powerful scene comes in of of uh she's watching the woman that she lives with breastfeed her child and she's learning about the emotional bond and the emotional love between a mother and child and you can tell it kind of resonates with her because her dna is based off of shinji's mom but she can't really grasp why she feels the way that she does um and that is wrapped up by the end of the film, and it was wrapped up fucking beautifully. Uh, the movie eventually kind of goes off this and leads straight into the final confrontation between uh, Shinji and Asuka and their group against Nerve and Shinji's dad, who was effectively just trying to cause the end of the world. His, his, whole, his whole goal is called human... Uh, he called it human instrumentality, where the entire populace of the earth would be merged into one single heart and one single mind in an effort to uh, relieve everybody of their pain, so to speak. Uh, he wants to create a world where there would be no war, no famine, uh, no, no problems. Everybody just lives happily inside this one big spherical fucking thing. And obviously it sounds terrible. Like, you know, nobody would want to ever live like that, but to Gendo, that's the only way that humanity can ever come to peace with itself. And the entire... I, I'm not going to spoil the entire last hour of the movie because I loved it so much that this is something that I think anybody who is listening who would potentially be interested in watching this, you have to experience this. This is not something that I want to spoil for anybody who might want who might want to watch this film. Um... By the time I got to the end of it, the only thing that I could really think, like I remember sitting on the couch as uh, watching it for the first time as the credits started rolling, uh, I remember thinking to myself that this might not be the ending that I necessarily wanted, and it might not be the ending that, that millions of Ava fans around the world necessarily wanted, but this is how Evangelion needed to end. This this is this is the conclusion of Anno's story that he's that he's drawn out for for almost twenty years at this point, or over twenty years at this point, and this is exactly the way it needed to come to a conclusion. And I like I think I said it in my Instagram post about the movie. I am not exaggerating when I'm saying that I was sobbing for seventy five percent of this film. I don't know if I was just so over, so overwhelmed with the emotions that the movie was giving me, or if I was just overwhelmed with the fact that this is my favorite series of all time and it's over. There's not going to be any more Evangelion media after this. It's finally over. And 
when the ending finally came and and the credits started to roll and you got I I got to see this final glimpse of of Shinji actually being happy like I I I was just I was emotionally wrecked and I was emotionally moved by this fucking film and I by the end of it, after experiencing everything this movie had to offer, I genuinely felt like I was ready to say goodbye to this franchise. I, as much as I don't want it to be over, I understand that it kind of has to end, and I'm willing to say goodbye at this point. But it, it was a great film. Uh, all four films have been added to Amazon Prime. And at the beginning of the film, I noticed some of the, well, most of the main character voices were different, and it really threw me off, especially Ray's voice. I did not like it at all. It had this very, it's this very, like, high-pitched tone, and I didn't like it for the first probably 45 minutes of the movie, but as she kind of started to talk more and started to put more emotion into her role as Ray was as the film was really giving Ray character development, it kind of started to grow on me. And then I realized that some of these voices sound familiar. And so I looked it up and Amazon prime actually redubbed all four rebuild films. And instead of using the original Funimation actors that they used, and instead of using Netflix actors that they used, they brought back the original dub cast from the original 1997 run TV run of Evangelion. And I thought that was just fantastic. And uh, uh, Tiffany Grant, who played Oscar in the in the original series, you know, way back in the fucking day, uh, she was she was very distraught. I remember it being a big thing on Twitter. She was very distraught that Netflix was uh, after Netflix purchased the rights to Ava that they decided to completely redub with an entirely new cast. Uh, because I think she had been told beforehand that she would have that she would have been brought back to the project before Netflix at the last minute was like, mm, no, we're actually going to use somebody else. So, but Funimation also did that to her too when they started making the the rebuild films. But so I'm sure she was fucking stoked for Amazon to bring her back to do all this. But it was really good. I. I have some issues with with the plot and the pacing and some of the kind of plot holes that it leaves for the previous three movies. But all in all, I, I genuinely think this was a beautiful film. I don't think it's the masterpiece that End of Evangelion was. Um, I will die on the opinion that Evangelion, that End of Ava is a cinematic fucking masterpiece. I think that that movie is 10 out of 10, a perfect fucking animated film. Um and this doesn't quite hold a candle to that movie, but it, for its own story in its own right, it's still a very good and very satisfying conclusion. So, yeah, go check it out. It was really good. It's free on Amazon Prime with a fucking subscription. You are incredibly passionate about that. I am. I Dude, I, I literally... I watch Evangelion at least once a month. Like at minimum. It's well, usually when it comes time for you to, you know, start to elaborate upon whatever topic you're going to talk about, you're, usually you'll say something along the lines of, uh, so yeah, this is just going to be quick. Or you'll say like, I don't know a lot of times you've said neither of those through any of that. And yep. you just had like, you had everything to say about it. So that was a nice change of pace. I... I was very ecstatic about this movie to finally release. I, I, think yeah, I saw your uh, Instagram post about it. This weekend alone, I watched it three times. 
<laughs> I, by Sunday, I had watched the film three times, and I still need to sit down and watch it at half speed to catch all the little shit throughout the movie, uh, throughout the film. And I'm going to do that eventually whenever I feel like I have time to watch a three-hour movie at half speed. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch it uh, soon. I just, it should. Uh, it was very good. I have to find the time for it. I feel that. The first two are relatively like normal length for movies, but then three and four, they tend to go a little long. Yeah. Well... Um, all right, let me run through mine as quickly as humanly possible. <clears throat> so, <coughs> oh, excuse me, COVID. Yeah, I got something going on. Might be real quick if you just die. Honestly, uh, here's hoping. Um, so, Kayla and I watched a little documentary on HBO called Woodstock '99: Peace, Love, and Rage. Uh, and this is the first in a series of documentaries based around music uh, called, I, I think it's called just called The Music Box. Mm-hmm. Um, more of these are coming later this year. There's going to be one about DMX, one about, um, uh, I, I think, just Jagged Little Pill, but it might be about Alanis Morissette in general. The DMX one will be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that one. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple other ones. I think there's one about, like, Juice World. There's going to be one about Kenny G. Um mm. Yeah, so anyway, but this one tells the story of Woodstock 99 and kind of everything that comes alongside that. Uh, you know, the riots, the, the excuse me, man, the overpriced um, waters, the, the sweltering heat, like all that stuff. <clears throat> and it's really well play, uh, paced and structured. And I know I said this last week when I was talking about like uh, – I don't remember exactly what it was that we were talking about, but I was talking about how documentaries try to tell a story. Um, so the way that this one is like written, so to speak, like where you have like, you know, it's talking about a specific top <clears throat> topic and then you have the, the interviews, like the talking heads thrown in or whatever is really nice. And it gives context to the events that take place before kind of showing them. Um, like so like the movie starts out with like a kind of rundown of Woodstock uh 69 I th- I think it was 69 uh and kind of like what all that entailed and then it kind of talks about like how they came to decide that they wanted to do one in 1999 and and all of that stuff <clears throat> but then like it's framed with like specific days of the event cuz it was a 3-day event and then in between those things it will talk about like the rise of new metal and it, uh, you know, all of that accompanying what is happening on stage and in the crowd during the three days of events. And even while it's doing that, it has these talking heads throughout that give even more added context. And I really loved that. I like, I know that documentaries kind of do that a lot, but like the way that this one was structured in particular, I thought was really good. And there are a ton of great interviews in this. Uh, None of them really felt overused or unnecessary. Uh, There was one guy that I, he was only in it like maybe three or four times. Uh, I, I mean, it might've been a little bit more, but like he was used very sparingly and it feels like he's 
there just to state his one specific point on the whole thing. And then he kind of just like disappears. And like, I don't know, like he, I kind of felt like you could have done without that guy. Uh, but other than that, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, it really put some perspective on the times that were like leading up to the two thousands and really that whole era of music and culture, like kind of encompassed that and encompassed all of that in a nutshell. That was really something I wasn't kind of expecting. Like I was expecting just a quick little, like, yeah, man, there were riots at Woodstock 99 and it, had to do with all this rage. Okay, cool. But like, it gave a lot more context to it. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is also on HBO. It's called mayor of East town. Um, and it focuses on, it's this HBO original series that focus on a small or on a detective in small town, Pennsylvania. And goddamn, this show is real good. Um, it kind of sets everything up with from the very beginning, it's opening shot and just goes from there. It like doesn't let up. It starts off on the right foot and then just like fucking keeps cruising all the way to the finish line. Uh, it was written by Brad Inglesby, who wrote The Way Back, uh, which was that um, movie from last year i think with um ben affleck where he's like the uh the guy who comes back to coach his local basketball team or something like that um i never saw it but uh i've read like reviews and i I saw the trailer and stuff and uh this show kind of focuses on a broken place and broken people that are trying to heal And really, I could sum up everything that I want to say by just saying that Kate Winslet is the entire reason that you should watch this show. I love her. I think that she is arguably the best working actress, just period. I I mean, everyone wants to like suck Meryl Streep's dick or whatever, but like Kate Winslet is a fucking revelation Every time she is on screen, she is so good and she is so magnetic. And in this, she, the thing that I think is really nice about this role compared to some of her other stuff is uh, with the exception of like, maybe like the reader, she is really kind of like seen as this sort of like symbol of like goodness and purity, I think. And, her her characters are kind of more oh uh like i i don't want to say overt but like i feel like kate winslet in this role in particular kind of disappears but in a much more like subdued way it if any of that makes sense and she, I mean, she's just so good, man. I did. I never wanted to take my eyes off of her like at all. Um, I think the direction of this is also really nice. Like it has a sort of specificity to it that makes the whole thing feel like a real place, even though it's not, it's set in Western Pennsylvania 
and uh, it's uh, they it's Delaware County, and they call it like Delco or something like that. And it really feels like it could be a real place in Pennsylvania. Like they have like little eagles found all over the set decorations, or like they throw in references to the Wawa, or even like like the entire like I talked about Kate Winslet. The entire cast is really great. Like Evan Peters is in this. He's phenomenal. Uh, um, I forget her name, but um, the the woman who plays Mayor's mom in this is really, really fucking good. Uh, the dude who played um, Pam Beasley's fiance in The Office from like the first two or three seasons, he's in this. He's really good. Like across the board, the, the cast is really good. And like, it even goes down to like all of them making insane efforts to nail this very specific Western Pennsylvania accent. And like, that's a big talking point. Everybody's like, Oh, the accents in this show are really good. And like, well, yeah, they, they are, but like, I don't feel like that even really needs to be talked about because the rest of it just nails this feeling. It, it's these little touches all over the show that ground it and make it feel real. <sighs> uh, the, the writing I feel like is almost entirely incredible. Uh, there's some gripes that I'll get into in a minute, but like this show really reminded me, especially when I first like through the first, like maybe two episodes, it really reminded me of twin peaks because it focuses on like the the plot is around this mystery but it adds tons of texture by allowing like the entire city to have this have these endearing and really richly developed characters like that's one of the things that i loved about twin peaks in general is like it wasn't just about agent dell cooper trying to find whoever killed Laura Palmer. It was about not only how the death of Laura affected all of these people, but all of the other stuff going on the in the lives of these people. And like, even like in the very first episode of mayor, um, you get this, this scene where mayor is called to a house and, uh, she, I forget what it what she was called there for, but it's these this older couple, and they're talking about like a uh, like a security camera, and like that's one of the things that they're arguing about. And you get this sense that like they are in their own lives, and they've got their own stuff like going on. And like later in the series, they pop up a couple more times, but like there there are other things like there's a. Uh, there's a lady who mayor is uh, called to and her brother is like stealing stuff from their house to go and buy drugs. And like, they're just another part of this world. You're following mayor's story and the story of this, like uh death of this young girl, but it gives you all of this added stuff that just like really that kind of stuff can hook you in. 
And I think to speak to that, like it really hits on some serious themes. Like one of the things that uh, is in there is like family and every piece of the cast has plot elements that are about the breakdown of family. And like, and this goes not just uh, with mayor, but it goes all the way to the other residents of the town. And it kind of shows how this like, breakdown can affect people. And in that way, it's a lot about loss and grief. And again, this is something that happens with every character in the show. And it really takes a look at what happens when you like one of the things that this show does that I think is really great is it, it tries to show the different ways that people handle grief and, with Mayor's story in particular, it takes a look at what happens when you just try to push through these things without confronting them. And <clears throat> there's, I mean, there's uh, several other things. There's the weight of expectations. And uh, this one really is kind of exemplified best by Mayor. But again, this kind of goes along with everybody. Like Mayor's story in particular is one where she is like, she is the high school basketball star and that automatically set her up to be one of these like people that was like, okay, she's going to do something with her life and she's, she's the hero sort of thing. And so that was already one thing. And like her life after that doesn't necessarily crumble immediately, but it does like, not only that, but like you've got her at the beginning of the series. She's been on this case for a missing girl for a very long time and still hasn't managed to solve it. And the weight of that, the expectation that she is a good detective and she must solve this case cripples her. And it's not only with her, man, it's the entire cast again, or the the one that really gets hit home, I think, in the f- final, like, three or four episodes, but is kind of a, across the entire series and across every one of the characters is the power of forgiveness. And it really kind of handles things or at least tackles things about, like, how if we just took things uh, or scenarios and handled them with empathy and forgiveness instead of rage and vengeance, a lot of stuff would be better for everyone. And I, I kind of loved that. I, I it's, the show is really good. Uh, I have a few gripes. There are some characters that are a little underutilized. I think like for instance, uh, I forget his name, but he's played by Guy Pierce. He is in probably four of the six episodes, but he's in, I feel like two in a, in a like larger role. I feel like he's kind of underutilized and there are other characters that are like, I feel like flat out just forgotten until they become convenient for plot reasons. And that kind of was like, eh. and to that point, right. At 
near the end, the final two, uh, maybe three episodes feel almost trite because of the amount of twists and turns in them. They're never really eye-rolly, but they do start to feel like a, like, come on now, like, really? That, like, for instance, like, the, the final episode, I really was, well, maybe it was the second last episode. There was, there was a scene, this one scene in particular that I was like, what? Like, what? This doesn't, uh, whatever. (laughs) But overall, the show is excellent. It has, it has a few faults. It's not perfect, but it's, I, I mean, it's one of the best shows I've seen in ages. I, it, this is a must watch, like absolutely must watch TV. Well, word. I'll probably check it out because it sounds really fucking interesting. I need oh, it's, it's on so, HBO, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> something to make my HBO subscription worth it. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, what? <sighs> Space Jam Two. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I've never seen the first one, so. Oh, well, good for you. I'm so glad that neither of you freaked out at that. Do you know how many people freak out when I tell them I've never seen Space Jam? A lot. A lot. Everyone I've ever told that, but the two of you. Well, I mean, Space Jam was like a, a. I feel like it's before your time. No, was it? I mean, you at you were a baby when it came out, right? I mean, like I don't know. It's not necessarily something that, that, that came out. Ninety four. Mm, shit, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Everyone I know has fucking seen it. Uh, it came out in 96. 96, okay. So, I mean, yeah, technically it's older than me. But, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those movies that everybody watches as a kid. I also have to preface that even as a child, I never gave a fuck about the whole Looney Tunes craze. Never gave a shit about it. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Maybe that was why, but... Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe one day. Pro- probably not, though. Yeah. Well, I would say I'd watch it with my kids, but the only thing Josie wants to watch is anime, so. Anime. Uh, well, you're teaching her right, I guess. <laughs> probably not. She uh, end up judo chopping a kid in elementary school, so. And Naruto running. Um, she already does that, so I'm sure I'll Oop. be dealing with that. Sounds like fun. Um, Speaking of sounds, I watched The Sound of Metal. Or not The Sound of Metal, just Sound of Metal. So this is a 2020 film uh, that was nominated for Best Picture and several other awards. uh, And it's about a thrash metal drummer that loses his hearing. I love this movie. Uh, This is a movie that immediately spoke to me, just like Promising Young Woman did. Uh, It was one of the... A few movies every year immediately, like, I see them and they're just like, yep, this this is it. This is one of the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is so fucking good. Uh, I want to start this out by saying almost the exact same thing as I did about Mayor of Easttown. This movie is really a showpiece for Riz Ahmed who people might know as uh I think I think his name was Brody from uh Rogue One. Uh he's been mm-hmm. in a ton of other things. Like I think he was in 
uh, the HBO show, uh, the night of, uh, and I'm fairly positive he was in Nightcrawler, which is another great movie. Um, but uh, anyway, he is fucking wonderful in this. Like, just so excellent. Everything about this performance is perfect to me. Uh, he just, he deserved the Oscar nod that he got. And maybe should have won. I still haven't seen the movie that uh, Anthony Hopkins won for, but like, he's so fucking good in this, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I I can't even tell you how fucking good he is. Uh, and I mean, I really think the rest of the cast is excellent as well. Olivia Cook, uh, or I, I thought that's her name. I'm rethinking it now that I said it out loud. Uh, Olivia cook. No, that's her. Okay. Yeah. She's in this, she was in ready player one. Um, and I think she's been in some other things. Uh, she's really good in this, even though her role is, is really kind of small. Um, she does a really good job of what she does. And then really, (laughs) uh, maybe even better than Riz Ahmed is Paul. I think racy. It might be Rashi. Uh, he plays Joe and he is just masterful. Like he is this really weirdly awesome, calming presence throughout the whole movie. But like, he's, I don't know, man, like he is this tough, but fair guy. And like, there are moments where like you can read everything you need to read on his face and he just stills the show he's so fucking good and i really don't know how he didn't win the best supporting actor oscar it blows my fucking mind that he didn't he is uh, a revelation to to say the fucking least um so uh, <clears throat> I mean, the movie, the movie is about deafness, like in its plot. Right. Uh, but there are really like awesome directorial touches here that help to take us on the journey. Uh, like for instance, all of the, the ASL near the beginning of the movie, like the, the sign language is uncaptioned. And that's because Ruben, hasn't learned ASL. It's all foreign to him. And once he learns ASL later in the movie, all of the ASL is captioned. It's like super subtle, but it's a really nice way of like showing that he is grown sort of thing. Or like I, there was this one shot near, near the beginning of the movie that I was like immediately pulled in by they're having dinner around this table and everyone's speaking in sign language and everyone's laughing and stuff like that. But everyone's out of focus except for Ruben. And it's like showing his alienation. Like he's there, but he's not there. He's not present. And he's, he feels othered and you get little senses of the outside world while still focusing on the story at hand with a lot of the stuff that's going on. And it's not even just with the visuals, right? Like there are moments in this movie where the sound will drop out completely or where it will sound like 
with Ruben, uh, you know, as he's losing his hearing or whatever, it sounds like you're like 40 feet underwater Mm -hmm. and you're trying to hear somebody who's like standing outside of the, the pool or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the writing here is really excellent. The, the plot is super tight and the premise is, is simple, but when you get into like the stakes and the relationships that are built here, it really becomes super fucking clear that Ruben's hearing loss he feels like could spell disaster for his entire world. Like his entire world could fall apart because he lost his hearing because there are these simple little things. And like, dude, none of this stuff is really explicitly ever told to you, which is kind of cool. But like, there's a shot at the beginning of the movie where you see Lou, who is Ruben's girlfriend and his, uh, his bandmate, you see her laying down and you see that she has cut marks on her wrists like all up and down her forearm. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you, it doesn't make anything of that. It's almost like a throwaway shot, but there's another sequence where Joe and Ruben are talking with one another. And, uh, he, Joe asked Ruben, how long have you, um, have you been clean? Cause he used to be a heroin addict. And, uh, he holds up, four fingers and he says four and then joe says okay and how long have you been together with lou and again reuben holds up his hand and says four right and it's never explicitly stated oh she's the reason that like i got clean or whatever but like you connect those dots right i mean it it tells you everything you need to be told without saying anything and so when when you grasp all that together, Lou, Lou is the reason that he's cleaned and <clears throat> they started a band together. And if he loses his hearing and can't be a part of the band, he loses his girlfriend. And if he loses his girlfriend, he's lost his, his sobriety. And it's like, you get all of this in like the first 15 minutes and it's nothing like it's never in your face about it. It's, it's so nice. <clears throat> and it really hits on the the theme of grief and grieving. And you kind of see it through Riz Ahmed's performance where he will, he kind of goes through all five stages of grief. And it also kind of focuses a little bit on addiction and how to m- kind of more or less fix yourself because the movie really leans into this, this, theme of codependency where you get the idea obviously that Ruben <coughs> excuse me is using Lou as like a uh, cipher for his his sobriety but you also later in the film get this sense that Lou is really using Ruben also to kind of get through her own emotional trauma and that had she not had Lou, you know, the, um, the cutting wouldn't have been a thing. Excuse me. I keep burping. So it also really kind of gets in this thing about how addiction isn't easy to overcome 
unless you build that will within yourself. So like what I mean by this is like Ruben really thinks that his entire house of cards will come crumbling down because of the loss of his hearing. And that's not necessarily true. And if you just sit there long enough and think about like, like the, the closing shot of this movie is beautiful, man. But the stillness and learning to accept yourself and learning that you are enough on your own is something that really hit home with me. And this has a little bit to do with what happened with me and my ex. And I had kind of built my whole little world around her. And when we broke up, I had like lost my entire world or at least that's what it felt like. And I had to learn to live without that. And this movie really fucking nailed that entire feeling. And I love this movie. I, this is one of my favorite movies of last year. It's excellent from top to bottom. It's such a breath of fresh air and the story is small and intimate. And it really spoke to me on a really deep emotional level. And I know that this was like five or six episodes ago, but I, I realized that I spoke at length about the best picture stuff when I was talking about, um, uh, oh my God, the trial of Chicago seven and nomad land. And this right here, this movie is the kind of stuff that I was championing. This is the kind of stuff that is best picture material. Yeah. This is one of the very best movies of last year and it deserves every bit of your attention. Mm Mm-hmm. That, it's a wonderful fucking film. And when I when I saw you brought it up in the Discord last night, I, I looked it up like to see what it's about because I was like, eh, mm, you know, whatever. I don't have anything else going on. And then I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. So I watched the trailer on uh, uh, Amazon Prime or whatever, and I was like, fuck, this looks like a really good movie. And, and me and Madison watched it, and, dude, I I was sobbing by the end of it. It's a really solid fucking movie. The way it was shot and the way it was written, like how it kind of, you almost experienced the deafness with him through the film. And I just thought that was fucking wonderful. Yeah. It was a really good movie. It's an exceptional movie. I, yeah, I can't say enough about it, to be honest with you. The only gripe with the movie I have was in the beginning I don't know if that was meant to be like how he was hearing it, like at the very, very beginning of the movie. Oh, I don't where know. it's kind of distorted. Yeah, yeah. That I also kind of grappled with that, but I think knowing now how yeah. the rest of the movie plays out, I kind of think that it is supposed to be like the tinges of him starting to lose his hearing. But okay. I, I also was right there with you. I was like, I kind of don't understand why this sounds like this. But he, I even like if you remove that element, that that was some pretty terrible music. <laughs> it was pretty fucking awful thrash metal. I'm I, I don't know. I'm also not really a 
super huge thrash metal guy anyway, but you know, whatever. Uh, but it was a great movie. Great movie. Dylan, how are you holding in? You you doing good? You still with us, buddy? Uh yes, I am still here. So okay. I have paid attention to all. Are you all gonna of it. are you gonna watch this movie? Probably uh, not, no. but I will not watch anything that anyone's talked about tonight. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, no. Oh, uh, whenever fair. movie talk happens, I don't do that. Well, at least you're your words. Yeah, you I'm know? sorry. I just don't. I, I just don't watch it. I don't know. I ha- I fell off watching the hundred foot wave. I didn't even. I forgot about it. Oh no. man, you were so no, it's excited. Like, I'm still excited about it. Like I just forgot about it. Like I got distracted. I started playing games and then I never looked back. You got a PS5. That's what happened. Yeah, it ruined my life. Yeah, it's fine. It. That's what they do. Well, if I told you how long I spent playing Destiny 2 today, it would it would make you physically ill. How long did you spend playing Destiny 2 today, Dylan? <sighs> 10 hours. Oh my no. god. What? That's not nope. true. You're lying. Nope. You're nope. exaggerating. Nope. 10 uh, hours. 10 hours. Oh my god. Yep. I've not had a day like that in such a long time and it felt miserably fantastic. I don't know. I guess I can't really say anything. Fucking Sunday when they sent me home from work sick, I played my Vita for probably nine straight hours. So I get yeah. it. I understand. Yeah, it was it was like the good old days. I did manage to go and get groceries at some point during all that. <laughs> hey, I did that on my lunch break today. It's so weird to me that people still grocery shop. You know, it's weird to me. What? During the last several months, there have been a there. <laughs> All right. During the last several month, uh, months, there has been a weird little rabbit hole on the internet that I've been traveling down. The hole in question involves an unknown Dutch developer known as Blue Box Game Studios and a project known as Abandon. Enter, well, the internet. And what started as a video game trailer appearing on YouTube warped and became something much bigger. The prevailing theory of this was that this was another ARG-type marketing gimmick for the next Hideo Kojima game. And that brought me down a different rabbit hole and to the topic of this very show. So, strap in, because we're about to do a deep dive into ARGs. So you guys had said that you were um, going to do some research yeah, on this topic. Did mm-hmm. you get to? I I did a little bit. I don't know about Dylan, but... Yeah, okay. I read a little. Um, <laughs> I was a little bored. I don't know. It seems like a huge conspiracy theory to me. Okay. So uh, alternate reality games, ARGs. Uh, I looked into it, um, and so there's no real set definition because ARGs mean different things to different, uh, like sort of subsects of Mm -hmm. popular culture. And, um, really with regards to video games and video game marketing, ARGs are more or less viral ad campaigns. Yeah. So, uh, 
I think probably the one thing that I wanted to get started with is why we think that they're used because obviously regular old marketing gets the job done, right? Yeah. So, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on that? That's, I think that's why I'm so disinterested in it is because every time that an ARG actually comes out into the world for, you know, people, fans, consumers to take um, advantage of, I just turn the other way. It's like, that's not for me. And I just never give it any thought or attention. Um, I didn't even know about this until you said it's going to be the topic of the show. And then I started reading more about it. And granted, this situation is pretty interesting and fucked up. I just never cared about anything else leading up until this. Um, but of course, you know, leave it to the one situation where, you know, we have conspiracy theory territory to get me interested. But I mean, I don't know, man. It's just when you said ARGs, I thought you meant like augmented reality games like Pokemon Go or Wizards Unite mm-hmm. or something like that. I didn't even know this was a real thing. I just I called this marketing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dude, well, one of the first uh, kind of sort of. I don't know if it actually was an ARG, but kind of like resembled that was, uh, I mean, Dylan, this, you might remember this. Austin, you definitely won't. Um, but do you remember the marketing for uh, the Blair Witch Project? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was something that I remember pretty vividly with like the whole um uh, website being up that was like, hey, this happened during this time and blah, blah, blah. And like kind of trying to make the Blair Witch seem real. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it did a good enough job to scare the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that kind of made that whole movie scarier in, in some instances. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my first thought was when, when uh, I... Th- first heard about what ARGs were. But um I don't know what uh Austin, sorry, I got sidetracked there. No, what about fine. you? I mean like do you think that these things are useful? Um so when I was doing some research on like just what a- ARGs are, um which I I enjoyed the nickname for this week cuz that's one of the first things that I was able to find was the uh I Love Bees campaign for for Halo 2. Um I think it's I definitely think it's a weird marketing strategy and it's not really something that would ne- well I, I don't know I guess I don't know I don't really know if it's something that would appeal to me or not but um I mean it I love bees fucking work because Jesus Christ uh I, I was looking up that whole thing and it was like a thing it said when the site launched in July of 2004 um it had 250,000 people like log on the first day that the shit really went up the first time that um, they threw the Easter egg in a Halo 2 trailer and people were able to decode it and figure it out. And uh, then after that, they had more than 500,000 people come back to the site every time the shit was updated. Uh, And that's fucking nuts. But I, if fuck they work, I guess (laughs) There, I like it's. I don't really know if it's something that would super like draw me in uh, to buy a product, but like, fuck. Apparently, for five hundred thousand people, it worked. So, yeah. So that I mean, that's something that I kind of wanted to get into with like, I mean, they could be used honestly for in any reasoning, mm-hmm. but they they 
tend in the video game uh, realm to stand toward or stand out from like typical marketing. Yeah. But I kind of never participated in any one of these. So I can't say whether or not they're useful for buying product. But one thing that I, when I was doing research for this, that I came across was that the original intent for ARGs was to kind of be their own thing. Yeah. And wasn't, wasn't, wasn't there a thing in China like a couple months ago where a company just like threw up a fucking QR code, almost like a fucking bat signal in the sky and people downloaded it and it was, it was a mobile game. It was literally just straight up a mobile game, and like millions of people were so perplexed what that QR code was that they downloaded it. I mean, does that? I don't know if that kind of. I don't know if that, if I'm on the right track if that ties into what we're talking about, but it feels like it does. I mean, I think that it could, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not sure. Again, when I when I started looking at this, the term ARG is so nebulous that it could mean almost very anything. broad. Yeah. Um. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I threw you off track. Yeah, completely. Oh, um, no, you're, you're good. I can I can say definitively that I think these things are cool. Uh, but I mean, Dylan, do you think they're useful at all? I because again, I feel like these are fun little things on the side, but they don't. They would never necessarily make me want to um purchase something outright right yeah i don't remember so sitting here thinking about this and it just now dawned on me there was something that happened i guess it's been a good at least 10 years ago um probably probably through the xbox 360 days there was some kind of ARG now that I think about it, and I can't remember what game it was for. A part of me wants to think it was for Halo Reach, but I'm not sure. But they, it was like super cryptic, and you were trying to decode things, and like everyone was working on it together. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Halo Reach. I could be entirely wrong, and I think it somehow corresponded with Five Gum or something like that. It was super weird, and I tried to Google it just now, and I can't find anything, which leads me to believe I'm wrong on one of those two aspects but in that moment it was fun and in that moment it was useful because first off you know halo and that's i keep relating it back to that because i swear it had something to do with it Mm -hmm. but even if it wasn't halo let's just say it's x game that i was already interested in or a franchise that i was already interested in they did a good job with it because you know it got all of my friends talking about it and we were all working together trying to piece together clues about some it was a piece of information that was correlated with something we were doing and it just felt like we were working towards something bigger and that part of it was cool but since then i've not even thought about it and you know 10 years have passed i can't even remember what this one was about truly um but you know you said one came out for mass effect i didn't even know um like a little bit of it resonated like maybe i remember it but you know, in terms of are they useful, I, I have a hard time saying that they're not because I'm sure that they apply to some people. I am sure that there are people out there that take full advantage of this and they have a good time with it, especially if it's already something that they are interested in or a franchise that they are interested in. In that regard, I think it's useful. 
but to the, I would say probably the majority of people, this just does nothing. It's like, who wants to, you know, like we, as adults, Josh, you and I have so little time as it is. Just give us the fucking game. We don't need a, we don't need a side piece of real life activity to go on with it. Just give me the game. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have a hard time saying no, that it's not useful because like I said, I, I bet in cer- certain groups and may- maybe it's just like, if there was something to do with Pokemon or, you know, something to correspond with like a FromSoft release, you know, maybe I would do it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I, it's, it's a waste of my time. Um, honestly, I, I hate to be so critical about it, but, um, this is just something that I look at. I mean, up until this week, it's something I didn't even know existed truly as its own thing. Yeah. So leave yeah, it to I mean, Dylan to always be honest. I, I mean, I'm right there with him. I, the the thing that he said that resonated with me is like I don't have time for this if I'm being honest like yeah I think the the idea of these is really cool but like as an adult with adult responsibilities this isn't something that I can engage with and spend time like looking into this sort of thing like uh, one of the one of the ARGs that I found was uh, stuff for the show Lost and Lost came out, I believe, when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, 2004. And so around this time, yeah, f- fuck yeah, this is definitely something that I would have engaged in, uh, especially if it had something to do with a show that I cared about, like the way I cared about Lost. Uh, but like now, I there's not much that I can... Mm-hmm really say that I would go out of my way to like try if that makes sense yeah <clears throat> excuse me nice um well I mean so that said I another thing that I wanted to to bring out is like I mean I think there is definitely some potential for harm here like I, I think that this is where the rabbit hole really begins to open up because there's obviously the potential harm to the consumer, right? Uh, but I think there's also some some harm for devs, and, and we'll get into that relatively soon. But the the one thing that I wanted to bring up, and you touched on, Dylan, is the the Mass Effect three thing, uh, which I don't I don't know that you would necessarily really consider this an ARG. But, like, I remember first hearing about this entire thing, and that's what people were calling it. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, but when Mass Effect 3 launched in 2012, they took some weather balloons and literally launched them into, or, like, they put, like, some care packages and put them in weather balloons and then um, kind of, like, flew them out into the world and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this and you can go find them by tracking it on the app and blah, blah, blah. And it ended up being something that they couldn't, uh, track on the app for whatever reason. And, um, shit. Sorry. Uh, I was just reading something, (laughs) uh, but at, um, 
at a certain point, like these started touching down and blah, blah, blah. And I remember listening to a podcast uh, where someone was talking about this in particular. And they had said that like one of the weather balloons landed in a tree, like, like right behind their house. And so they went out to try to go get it and everything. And like that to me is very, very potential or has a lot of potential for harm because like someone could go up there and they could break their fucking leg falling Mm. out of a tree, trying to get a fucking copy of mass effect three. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like I've heard of situations like this with an ARG that kind of corresponds with geocaching essentially, if that makes sense. So that's also like you can, someone can find the geocache before you and just wait. You know what I'm saying? Like just someone who has ill intentions mm-hmm. of that r- nature. I mean, it's kind of a scary topic to think about. Like, yeah, there's harm for the environment if you do it incorrectly with, uh, you know, like what you're saying with the weather balloons or even like you said, maybe breaking a leg, going up and getting it, whatever. But also, I mean, some of these ARGs do take place on a, you know, personal level like where you could interact with people and that always proposes a problem too um i know it's something entirely different but look at what happened with pokemon go there was you know unfortunately uh some violent circumstances surrounding that game too or just people trespassing in general so the more you open something up to the public is essentially what i'm saying the more chances of harm Mm -hmm. there is to come from it you know nothing can go wrong with a digital download of your video game but the second you start trying to bring the real world elements into it you could always try and suffer or not try sorry to suffer but you always Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to suffer some kind of harm whether it be physical environmental whatever and it's not i it i i don't necessarily think it constitutes as an arg but like uh, to kind of coincide with what Dylan's saying, look at uh, what was the name of that app that was going around uh, a couple months ago that everybody was talking about. You could download it, and it, it was for people who like like going outdoors and outdoors and shit. You could download it, and it would give you a random coordinate to travel. Randonautica. Yeah, dude, the shit that came out of that fucking app. I mean, like stuff like that could propose danger for for ARGs and shit like that too like um i i know for a fact that with randonautica there are at least 3 confirmed police cases where people had used the app and whenever they went where the app told them to go they found bodies they found literal dead bodies exactly where the app told them to go so fucking shit yeah i i can definitely see how shit like that how shit like ARGs could be dangerous too yeah i mean that's that that's the next thing that i wanted to point out is like something like randonautica Mm -hmm. um i don't know that it necessarily would lead to you like getting killed or anything like that but like this was literally sending you to unknown locations yeah right and you could potentially have been like put into harm's way by Put you putting you in a location without without cell service, so you don't know how to get back from the way you came. You that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I could potentially see ARGs uh, causing that same sort of like uh, harm. Yeah, you know, to to the people who are trying to participate in them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but not only that, I mean, there is the potential hard to devs like I like I brought up earlier. Like this whole thing with Blue Box. Like, um, I think that this could potentially, and and this is where I, my head is thinking about the the sister episode, like later or like next week. This could very potentially lead to stuff where people like they get overhyped for your game or Mm -hmm. uh you know it it could i i when i mean i don't know we can we can get into it if you want How, how much of this blue box stuff did you guys read i read a bit about their their shortcomings of the history of what they've promised, you know, essentially claiming that they have product coming and then it never releases or when it does release, it gets taken down for X reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially it seems like a company built upon false promises and this seems to be going in the general direction of that. Yeah. That's about where I got to. I followed, um, cause I was looking it up. And I was like, I'm pretty sure a YouTuber that I like routinely watch has been talking about this. And uh, uh, Spawn Wave was talking about it a little bit on Twitter. So I kind of went through his Twitter and read up on what he had to say about it. And so I'm kind of in the same position as Dylan. Okay. Well, okay. So let me just go ahead and kind of break down the events of this entire situation. Teach us. All right. So there was a trailer about blog post and a write-up for the game from the director on the PlayStation blog on April 7th. The trailer also released on YouTube. I I think at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. So later that day, rumors began swirling and some of it was kind of like in good fun, uh, but some of it was a little bit more serious that this was the new Hideo Kojima game and even a little bit later after that, uh, it was kind of shut down by Jeff Grubbs using the logic that, hey, Kojima hasn't been working on a game because he's in talks with Microsoft to produce their next big game. Uh, I think that that's a ever so slightly suspect because his game came out in 2018. He's had, or not 2018, sorry, 2019. He's had two years to kind of start planning his next game, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, The internet then began its detective work like the internet does. And in early June, there were some things that started getting discovered as inconsistencies with blue box. Like their official website had like a list of employees, but the employees that they had listed, the pictures for them were stock imagery. Um, And, nobody could really find out their development history outside of a uh, app for iOS. That was a personal training app called go fit uh, fitness app. Um, and if you were to believe the conspiracy theorists, personal training is a PT app. And that ties in with PT from Kojima and silent Hills. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, but by mid June, things like even more stuff was like beginning to service, uh, or surface. Sorry. So the, 
the studio's logo is basically an inverse of the new PlayStation Studios logo, even using the same font. So it's basically just a square uh, across uh, like a white background um, and is using the same exact font as, as the PlayStation stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio was supposedly founded on the same day as PT's release in 2014. Uh, Google Trend... There, People started like doing weird shit, and the Google translation of the uh, director's name, Hassan Karaman, came out to supposedly be Hideo. When I looked into this, uh, it was said that just Karaman translates to Hideo. I couldn't find a uh, Hassan Karaman equals Hideo Kojima direct translation, uh, but... I mean, that's where it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then there was the fact that tweets from the studio and Hassan himself were coming at weird times based on where the studio supposed to be, which is in the, the Netherlands. And basically, there were tweets coming in the middle of the night when everyone's supposed to be asleep, but if you look at where the times line time zones line up and everything, it's the middle of the workday in Japan. So then the last big thing was Hassan Karaman received a verified PlayStation profile and that was found. And not only was he playing, uh, like only like a handful of games, he was actually playing one game called demon blood that has not even been released yet. So then we get June 15th and we get this tweet from the official Twitter of uh, Blue Box Studios that uh, that's about Abandon. Um, and basically they're like, so Abandon isn't actually called Abandon and its real name begins with an S and ends with an L. And everybody and their fucking mother then was like, oh my God, this is definitely Silent Hill. This is definitely Hideo Kojima. After that, they retracted the tweet, so they deleted it just straight up and apologized, saying they have no partnership with Konami, no uh, affiliation with Kojima, and that the game is not Silent Hill related. Mm -hmm. That same day, they uh, announced the real-time experience app for the PS5, and the thing about this is no one has used this feature yet, including PS five exclusives. So games like ratchet and clank, which is technically a first party game was not using this feature. (laughs) Just a little bit fucking weird considering this is a small independent studio in the Netherlands, right? Uh, then the next bit of weirdness, Jeff Keighley, uh, shares a tweet and he announces that he's been speaking with the team and shares a screenshot of the DMS, but there's an inconsistency with the screenshot because of how Twitter timestamps their DMS. So he showed a screenshot of when he was talking with Hassan and it just showed the time, but, uh, how Twitter's timestamps work. If he had taken that, um, photo, right. Of the DM to show everybody, 
whatever, it would have said, I received this DM ages and ages ago, right? Like weeks ago or whatever, but it didn't. It just showed that he had received it at this specific time. So that led to a whole bunch of more speculation. And that is also because Jeff Keighley and Kojima are supposed to be really good friends. And so that was just a whole nother thing. And then <laughs> there was even more June stupidity. Blue Box tweets that the game only has a budget of $250,000. There are 50 employees and development started in 2015. uh, And there is work being outsourced to seven different studios. This in and of itself doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you start breaking down the numbers, right? $250,000 for a budget. Well, you have to pay your employees. That's not just the like, Part of budgeting for game development is to pay your employees, right? Well, if development started in 2015 and you're having stuff outsourced to studios, you have to pay those studios also. And the breakdown of this game being started six fucking years ago means that all of the employees at just Blue Box would be getting paid something like 100 bucks a month doesn't make any fucking sense yeah it literally doesn't make any fucking sense so then redditors start figuring out that the original teaser trailer uh that was made um on that blog post and on the youtube video or on the youtube um was used or was made using unreal engine assets assets and Kara uh, Hassan later clarified that the teaser wasn't from the game and was merely just trying to represent the theme and tones of the game. But this is a gigantic red flag because there could be possible legal ramifications for using this stuff and passing it off as your own. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand how they could have gotten a, like away with that at all. Yeah. Um, so the real time experience app is delayed three days on June 22nd. They say it's going to come out on the 25th and then on the 25th, it is released or it is delayed again until an unspecified time in August. On top of that, details began leaking about the history of the team itself. And this is where you guys kind of came in. It's got a long history of failed Kickstarters and games or apps that have either never finished development or were in early access or even on storefronts and got wiped from their perspective stores. Mm. Like none of this shit makes any fucking sense whatsoever. Mm. Then just about, uh, it was, I think it's been less than a week. Um, they, launched a or they they tweeted a uh what did they tweet it was um a picture or no it was a video on august 10th saying are you ready and it looks suspiciously like the backside and the coat of the main character from silent hill 2 i it's whatever at this point and so they uh, tweet that out and say say something along the lines of um, the app will be ready or whatever on this day. Then the app is supposed to release and it literally does not come out and they 
used some kind of bullshit story saying that they had some issues with the engine and that, uh, um, it was something to do with their engine. I don't remember exactly what it was and I can't figure it out because they deleted the fucking tweet. Go figure. Um, but then it was like the next day they come out and they were like, we experienced a graphical glitch. And in my head, I immediately went like, was it engine issues or was it a graphical glitch? Because it's one or the other. Those two things do not necessarily go hand in hand. Like, so what is like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. What is going on? Mm-hmm. So ultimately they finally got the, the app up and it just shows a video of the little clip that they tweeted on August 10th. Uh, they have deleted several of their tweets um, saying uh, about the app and everything that caused the delay and all of that stuff. Uh, the weirdest thing, the absolute weirdest thing to me, and then we'll, we'll get into what this could all mean is they gave an interview or well, specifically Hassan because (laughs) (laughs) No one else from the studio has spoken up saying, Hey, I work for blue box games and we're making this game, blah, blah, blah. Nobody has done that. Fucking nobody. Nobody at the studio has spoken up and said, I work for blue box games and I'm making this game. Like what? Nobody, nobody wants to say anything. Yeah. Like, like, come on, man. Like at at a certain point, you've got to like clarify your situation, whatever. Anyway. So Hassan, uh, gives a, um, interview to NME. Okay. If you know anything about NME, the website or the publication, because I think at one point they were a magazine, they are primarily known for their fucking music coverage. This is a music website. Like they, I, they're kind of like consequence of sound at this point where like consequence of sound doesn't just cover music anymore. They kind of cover everything. So enemy kind of does the same thing, but why the fuck would you go to NME of all fucking places? You are a video game studio. Go to IGN, go to Kotaku, go to fucking Polygon, go anywhere but NME. Why would you go there? <laughs> like it it boggles my fucking mind that he went to this website saying, "Yeah, this is what the game is and blah 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 and everything's just a big misconception." At this point, I kind of am. Well, so we'll get into it, right? All right. What this could possibly mean is that it could be another ARG, but it could also be a small indie dev in way over their heads. And either way, this has become an actual shit show. 
And we need to start considering the cost of marketing and hype culture, which again, we'll get into that next week. I, I, because I feel like we've gone on a significantly long time on this in particular, Mm. but I just don't. Something has got to be up. Like something has got to be up with this. Like, I don't understand how this is a game supposedly only for the PS five. Okay. It's, it's only being marketed for the PS five. They have resources enough to get an exclusive app for the PlayStation five. They had a blog post on the PlayStation blog. These guys are working with big fucking deal studios, man. Like they're working with Sony. Sony hasn't said a goddamn thing. Something is up with this game. If it's just a small indie dev, I really, really feel like these motherfuckers have fucked themselves so hard. If they are going to release a game. And this could all be, I've seen like tweets all over the place in the last couple of days saying, you know, this could just be these grifters trying to like get you to, to, uh, give them clout or whatever. Cause they're never actually going to release a game because they've been doing this for, you know, with, like I said, the long history of failed kickstarts and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And they're just chasing clout. And if that's true, like I kind of feel like, fuck you. Yeah, but sure. if this is an actual indie dev trying to market their game, you have got to do better. You cannot go out there and explicitly state that you're making a horror game, specifically a survival horror game, and say, yeah, uh, the real title of our game starts with an S and ends with an L. What could it be? You can't lean into the fact that people think that you are Hideo Kojima by posting a picture of, or or not really a logo, but like a teaser post for your real-time app with a blurred-out face that looks just like fucking Solid Snake. This kind of shit you cannot fucking do. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I This whole thing has, like, I... I'm serious, man. Like I am like the, the meme of Charlie from it's always sunny, like trying to find a Silva. (laughs) Like that, that is me at this point. And it is, it's kind of broken my brain, but I feel like I I've been talking a lot and I'm going to hand it to you guys here in just a second. I feel like we really need to consider the cost of marketing and hype culture. Mm -hmm. For sure. Cause like, like even if they're, at the at the end of all of this, even if there is a fucking game at the end of all of this, if that game is not uh, at, at this point with how much talk has been generated just from this controversy alone, with how much talk has been generated on on Twitter and YouTube and Reddit and all those fucking rabbit hole places, if this game is not even remotely good, they fuck themselves into a corner. I wholeheartedly agree. Like um, they, they, they single-handedly destroyed their own fucking career. 
Well, my thing is like all of this could be rectified with proper communication about, yeah. I mean, it seems like something that's so common sense, right? But it's like, why haven't we gotten it yet? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew about none of this. Um, but the more I read about it, the more it seems like there's so much more going on behind the curtains, stuff that we can't see but it's also like we don't even have a clear picture of what it is because there's not been a straight answer and it seems like there's been more fabrications than there has been truth Mm -hmm. so my thing is like if you're a legitimate company if you're a legitimate business you have a goal in mind you don't have to show any footage about anything but maybe sit down and have like an accurate statement you know i know i think he commented and said like they're being labeled as scammers so no one on blue box wants to show their face type of thing but at the same time, it's like you're in so much shit that if you have, what, 50 people working for you, find one. OK, find one and be like, this is a real thing. Let's get something together because mm-hmm. with no zero communication as it is, you're not helping yourself. Um, and there's every time there's an answer given, it seems like there's a question mark at the end of the sentence. That it's not like a, a factual statement. It's more like a. Um, you know, they just ended on a question essentially. Um, and it sucks because if all this is actually legitimate and everything is true and this man is working his ass off and he has a team supporting him and they're working too. And this whole thing is really just, just collapsing on him. He went as far as the saying in the enemy, uh, interview, like he's super depressed right now. And if that's the case, I really feel for him. And I hope he's taken some care of himself because that's not a good thing. Can you imagine like everyone in the gaming world who's taken note of this is questioning your intentions, questioning your validity. I couldn't imagine having that, you know, look at, uh, was it Sean Murray from No Man's Sky? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at what he went through. So I can't imagine how this man feels if his operation is actually legitimate But as of right now, we have no way of knowing if that's true or not. And like Josh said, the costs have to be getting near astronomical to the point of you're not making any headway on your project right now. And it's just surrounded by mystery. And that's really not good in the long run. Um, I mean, you're getting hype. You're getting people to talk about your stuff, but for not about the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I wish that they would at this point like at this point there's not much that they can do, but I I wish that they would just go silent. Get your game out when it's ready. Just stop talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. And then if it turns out to be Kojima, cool. Like whatever, yeah. but Ooh. I I kind of feel like at this point it's become annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now the game is not even scheduled to release until next year. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we'll see. Uh. Well, anyway. Yay. We've been at, but like the three of us, we've been playing games that are real. <laughs> we have <laughs> games Good that actually released. <laughs> uh, do you want to start us out, Dylan? Um, what a, what's the first one on my list? Miles Morales. No, I want Austin to go first. Oh, gee. okay. Uh, Splitgate. Splitgate. Damn it. Been do fucking another. rad. Do, do another one. 
I don't want to do another one. I want to do split gate because it's the shorter one. Yeah, but but we're all going to talk about that one. Do your other one. Oh, I, I didn't even know. I knew Josh did, but I didn't know you were. Yeah. We all, oh, okay, we well, then, fine. Uh, God damn it. Uh, Persona 4. Yeah. Um, I really, I, I don't know what else to say about this game that I haven't already said. I'm probably going to stop talking about these games until I finally finish them, because I'm, I'm making pretty good progress in Persona 4, and I, I'm thinking I can have it done by, ne- by next episode. Um, but I will say I really enjoy some of the, I enjoy the side characters in Persona 4 much more so than I enjoy the main cast so far and much more so than I enjoyed the side characters in Persona 5. Um, one of the social link characters specifically, uh, being a character named Yumi, uh, I started her social link a couple days ago, you know, had a couple interactions with her, um, went to go hang out with her again, and I had to chase her to the local hospital. And I was not expecting this game, a story, uh, I wasn't expecting a subplot of this game to hit me as close to home as it fucking did. Uh, I played through the sequence on my lunch break, and I literally had to put my Vita down, and I did not touch it for the rest of the day just because of how how this plot made me feel um basically you get to the hospital you catch up with yumi and she um her mom had tricked her into coming to the hospital saying that she got into an accident and she needs her to come to the hospital right away she gets there and sees her mom sitting outside of a waiting room and she's like i i thought you were in an accident like are you okay and she was like yeah I lied because I'm not the person I wanted you to come here to see today. And it turns out that uh, Yumi's dad, who ran out on them 10 plus years ago, is on his deathbed. He's dying of a terminal illness. And he wanted to see her one last time to ask for her forgiveness. And oh my fucking God. I, that shit hit me way harder than I wanted it to because that almost the exact same scenario happened to me, literally almost the exact same fucking scenario. And wow, it, it really fucked me up for the rest of the day. And that made me absolutely adore her, adore her social link and love her as a side character. And I'm really like I said, I, I honestly am starting to love the side characters much more than I love the main cast. But yeah, it's been great. Hopefully I can have it done by next week, but I don't know. Fuck it. We'll see. What about your achievement? Oh yeah. Fucking, uh, Persona 5. I have, I've I've been platinuming that, but, uh, or trying to, uh, I did find, I did realize after I got that bugged achievement that there is still one more trophy that I have to get and I can't level 90. Damn it! I'm sorry to rub salt in the wound because I was like, he can announce he got his platinum, but never mind. Not yet. I the achievement for or the trophy for Persona Five Royal that I still need to get um, unlocks after you beat the Reaper, and the Reaper is a shadow that appears in Mementos if you literally if you stay on a floor too long, and you pretty and uh, you can make him spawn. You just kind of have to sit in one spot for like ten minutes, and it's kind of terrifying. Because you'll start to hear the sound of like chains rattling and it'll get closer and closer. And it's just this big, horrifying, grotesque fucking monster carrying two long rifles. And it's 
fucking awful. I was, everyone on Reddit was like, oh, the fight's not that hard. The fight's not that hard. I went into it with a full party of level 60s and got wiped in less than 30 fucking seconds. So apparently upon further reading, uh, I need to be at least at minimum level 90 before I attempt this. So that puts me at like right at the very, very end of the fucking game. I think when I finished my first playthrough of Persona 5 Royal, uh, all of my characters were in like the mid nineties. So I guess I'm just kind of play through the game all the way again and just wait until oh, that point. God. So, well, uh, sorry it. to bring up a sore topic. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit, Dylan. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Anyway, I've been having a great time on <laughs> Spider-Man Miles Morales. I started it, beat it um, really quick game, really fun game. Uh, I don't, uh, have as much love for it as the the initial Spider-Man that came out. But Miles Morales is my favorite uh, version of Spider-Man throughout the comics and video games now, stuff like that. He's always been my favorite. So this game really hit home for me. I loved it. I loved the, I loved that they captured the feel for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a great job at the whole, this is their Spider-Man type of thing in Harlem. This, they captured the the music for it perfectly. Just the, just the overall oh first off the fact that i didn't i don't know how i didn't know this but the fact that they switched up the seasons to winter this time around yeah that was really cool i had no idea they were doing that i don't know if you ever said that during your playthrough austin but i don't know how i missed it man really um just all of the trailers that have ever been showed for that show like i know decorations I, i never watched a single trailer for it oh shit yeah oh okay my only and even i remember you speaking about it but i don't remember you telling me the plot Mm -hmm. i tried to specifically (laughs) i guess just disassociate oh that's Um, good yeah because it made this really really enjoyable and a memorable experience i love the um i love the story and it's funny because josh and i just got off of a podcast where we talked about heavy friendship elements. And I feel like that's again, what comes into play here. Mm -hmm. It's uh, friendship and just relationships overall, whether it be miles with his mom, with Genki, with uh, his uncle, with um, Finn, you know, with whomever there's, there's heavy relationship elements in this one too. A lot of friendship stuff. And from start to finish, it was, a beautiful ride. It went much faster than I wanted it to because I, I really did want a full-fledged game with Miles, um, kind of like we had with Peter. But I understand what they were trying to do, and I think they did it remarkably well. Mm-hmm. Um, combat felt a lot more fluid this time around. It felt like they really nailed the differences between Miles and Peter. I feel like he was much more agile. Um, even switching up outside of combat just to how he moves and traverses new york as a whole he's the much more loose with his swinging style and it really becomes apparent that he's much like i just said i mean i'll say it again he's very agile um as opposed to peter and it it was nice to see the differences in how they were going to change up the formula even though it's just a little bit they still changed it up enough to where it felt nice and fresh and that was really um Something that I enjoyed about it, because I thought it was just going to be a copy and paste, and it was not at all. Um, I like how he kind of gets his skills from Peter's training scenarios and stuff like that. That was that was a really cool addition, and it kind of fast-tracks the whole becoming Spider-Man thing, but it never fast-tracked it too much. It felt like he 
fell into place really, um, I, I guess in, in the time that it should have taken, I get, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like it was too short or too long and they, they really captured the feel of New York and Christmas, even though it was only a couple of missions that you got to walk around the streets in, whether it was like a festival and stuff, but then, you know, the Christmas trees, the snow, the blizzard, just everything, it felt like a different game almost. And I think they did a fantastic job at that. Um, and then towards the end of the game, just getting that little Easter egg where you, I mean, is it even an Easter egg? Um, that special scene where you see Peter and Doc Ock walk into the science museum. Yeah. And you, that, that was really cool, man. I mean, that, it's not even just a callback to the first game, but it just kind of adds on to the first game's story even because it, it's, a, it's a part that we never got to see, but it just branches and shows how much of a father figure Otto was to Peter himself. So the game did so much right, and I can't. I don't really have a knock on it outside of the length, and even then I can't complain because I knew going into it, it wasn't a full-fledged game. Yeah. But I've had a, I've had a fantastic time, and it, it did it justice. And by the end of it, I wasn't as emotional as I was with, you know, Peter losing May and him having to make the ultimate choice. And then obviously ultimately losing Octavius as well. Um, Miles still lost a lot. And while it, while it sucked, he also gained so much like having all of Harlem or not all of Harlem, but the people who were there from Harlem, like have his back when the reporter showed up, when he didn't have a mask and mm -hmm. having them bring him the mask, man, it was just, that was wonderful. It was, a, it was, it was a wonderful, beautiful moment. And it, the whole, from start to finish, it culminated down to a perfect ending. And I can't wait to see where the next game goes from here. Um, mm -hmm. Post credits was great with um, uh, Norman wanting to go ahead and pull Harry out. You can tell where that goes, and even on top of that, like the quick glimpse you you hear for just a second when Norman's telling the doctor, you know, I want him out, and the doctor's like, nah, but then Norman turns and says, Kurt, I want him out. So right there, that's Kurt Connors. That's yeah. the lizard. Like, you know, that's another that's another villain. So that's super cool, man. I'm, I'm very much anticipating uh, Spider-Man 2, whatever it's going to be called. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I'm excited, and Miles Morales did a fantastic job at helping us get there a little faster. There's a lot of, of I mean, even with just these two games alone, they in their own kind of way in the background, they've done so much setting up for the next game. Yeah, like uh, Re um, remarkably well too. Yeah, like with the like the DLC for the first Spider-Man. Then the last DLC, you're running around chasing crime scenes of of people that Yuri has killed after she fucking yeah. uh, leaves the police force. Right. And uh, yeah, you got the Connors and Venom and all that, and that's good. It's yeah. gonna be really fucking cool. Um, yep. I'm curious to see, you know, if like who transitions. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be Norman going to the Green Goblin? Is it going to be what? I, I oh, don't know. I truly don't. It's got to be. Um, I'm very curious to see the symbiotes come out if they do. Um, the lizard is going to be an amazingly fun fight. Um, there, there's so much they can do. And that's not even adding in all of the content that Miles can bring to the table. Is that going to be the only one that comes to the table? Are we going to see Spider-Gwen? Or, who, you know, who are we going to see come from this? We don't, yeah. we don't know. But... Um, I think personally, I think they should kind of refrain from adding too many spider men or women spider to the show people. right now. Yeah. Spider people right now. 
Um, I think they need to kind of pace themselves because they're going at a remarkably fantastic pace. Like with how you were saying how they set up perfectly, not only throughout Spider-Man, but then the DLC for that game as well. And then here comes Miles Morales just getting there even more. Mm-hmm. So whenever it comes out, it's it's going to be a wild ride, dude. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. And I loved the, um, like, during my time with Miles Morales, I loved just all the little shit that was placed all throughout the game. Um, like, there was one street name that was changed to, uh, pretty sure it was changed to Bozeman, obviously in fucking memory of Chad right. Bozeman. Um, the, the diner in the first game where you have the Stan Lee cameo, if you go back to that diner in Miles Morales, yep. it now has the Stan Lee statue uh, sitting out in front of the diner. And then when you, you get do, a trophy if you eat the food, yeah. And then when you do the when you do the side quest for the people in the neighborhood, you're led to a location where they seemingly made you a, a a spider suit, but it also has this huge, 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 uh, and colorful and vibrant uh, Black Lives Matter uh, mural. Yep. And I thought that that was super cool. That like like this game was still in development, obviously during the during the uh, all the big shit that happened last year. And they, during dev time, they went out of their way to bring light to social injustice, and I, I appreciated that. And they did it so well too. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it just flows so naturally, but it's nice to see. It's nice to have yeah. it in there. They they. It's nice that they find like there's finally a black hero that these kids can play as an experience, and they can see their culture mm-hmm. and everything for sure with an overwhelming message of just be yourself, and mm-hmm. that's why it's so beautiful, dude. I I they nailed it. Do you guys remember when uh, when Marvel first unveiled uh, Miles Morales as a comic book character and the kind of shit Fox News said about it? I don't. Oh, it was hilarious. Uh, I remember because I, I found a video on it a couple weeks ago, and uh, uh, it was like the week that Marvel had unveiled Miles Morales, and it was like some talk show on Fox or whatever. Uh, they They were talking about, oh... Um, uh, Marvel's trying to make Obama a superhero with by adding a teen who looks exactly <laughs> like fucking Obama, and I was like, it, it's just a black kid. Yeah, like, what the fuck? I mean, leave it to Fox, right? <laughs> it's like it's literally just a black teenager. What? Yeah, I don't understand. It's, it, it's not surprising, but yeah, leave it to Fox. But no, that game was that game was fucking great. Uh, I I wish the game was much longer than what it was because I wanted to spend more time with it than what I did. Um. The only real gripe I had with it was I feel like I feel like what happened to Finn at the end of the game didn't really impact me as much because there I, I feel like her character wasn't handled all that well. I like one, I think she was revealed way too fucking early. She uh she's revealed as the tinkerer within like what, the first two out two or three two to three hours of gameplay? Yeah, but in a seven-hour game, like that was yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. I mean, I I see what you're saying, and I wish they could have fleshed out the story more. There's yeah. always going to be that want and desire. Yeah, for sure. Because had they had led the you know suspense trail on for a little bit more, that would have been much appreciated. But mm-hmm. trying to, I guess, compress everything down into that seven-hour story, mm-hmm. I, I think that they handled it well. Um, but it was a pretty early reveal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, another thing too, like, do you, do you guys think they charge too much for that game being how short it was? Do you feel like they charge too much? Man, 
personally no, no because yeah because you had the story mm-hmm. and then you had all the the friendly neighborhood spider-man app missions and like yeah. side quest all the collectibles um the the spider-man training scenarios and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think it was adequate and i think with how much that they wound up changing the game um in terms of just aesthetically uh i feel like it was worth it myself yeah that's how i feel too i was just curious i know that that's a pretty common uh attack that's thrown at that game but I, like honestly i 100 percent of the game and it took me i didn't platinum it but i 100 percent of it and it took me i think roughly 24 hours to 100 percent the campaign so yeah 24 hours that's I mean, fifty bucks, dude. That's not. Uh, I'm not. That's not bad at all. It. Yeah, you got your money's worth. Six of those hours were me fucking redoing the final stealth training mission over and fucking over. I was about ready to break my controller over that shit, dude. Well, I haven't done it yet, but now I have something to look forward to. Yeah, I maybe it was just hard for me because I'm an idiot, but this shit was. Fucking I mean, hard. probably, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Hey. This is the new Pokemon. Yep. Is it? I I feel <laughs> yeah. like Pokemon's going to come back with a vengeance. So it's going to on Sunday's thing that we record because oh, I refuse to speak about that on this podcast. Thank you. Because I will get criticized. Thank you, Dylan, for being a. Good you are player. welcome. Uh, uh, I played yeah. Narita Boy. Cool. Uh, this is an indie puzzle platformer from Studio Kobo, which is a small seven-person studio. Uh, it's on Game Pass. You can go check it out. Uh, I think it released back in June. Uh, first thing I want to state, this game is dripping with style. Like, the drip is real. Um, it's clear from the title screen that the game is indebted to Tron and the 80s, but the whole vibe given off, other than just like, hey, this is 80s or whatever, um, is really indebted i think to 80s arcade games and has this really beautiful pixel art to it like i mean kind of like stunningly beautiful um and the little tricolor beam that's shooting out of the key art is just like like chef's kiss uh the music helps establish the style as well it's not quite chip tune but it's definitely indebted to it uh and it feels Honestly, it feels very much like if Daft Punk created a soundtrack for an 80s arcade game. Um, it isn't full instrumentation. Uh, it is kind of like an old school soundtrack. Like it kind of contains the bleeps and bloops and, and whatnot. But it feels like the music that Daft Punk made. Um, I also really feel like the animation is extraordinarily pretty. Like super super beautiful it's really fluid and makes everything seem almost more impactful than it maybe actually is uh it's really i I, i've been talking a lot about animation on the last couple games and or well the last couple weeks of games that i've been playing and uh i mean narita boy is is another one of those the animation on is super high quality um, the gameplay is really good. It's a little unremarkable, uh, and, and maybe in some instances, some people might think that it is bad. Um, I think the combat is swift and fun, 
but it never feels like it's more than uh, like just a this enemy is weak to this attack or strategy uh, do this sort of thing. I don't think it really ever wa- rises above that, uh, which is fine. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that you're given abilities in this game that don't necessarily feel like they're useful for anything. And that's because you figure out how to fight an enemy and then you can just use that the rest of the way through the game sort of thing. Um, the platforming is okay. This was probably the part that I feel like I had the most issue with the game, uh, because Narita boy feels a little floaty and that led to me dying to the environment more times than I'd care to admit. Uh, but it's not, I don't personally think that it's bad. Some people might disagree with me. Uh, I think that it could have used some fine tuning though, for sure. Um, and then there are like light Metroidvania elements, uh, as far as like some of the puzzles go, like you're kind of cordoned off to like, mm, I'd say probably about like six or seven different areas, uh, with each of them having their own kind of unique style and cadence to them. Uh, and they're cool and they're really nice, like stylistically, but some of the puzzle designs are really, I feel like the Metroidvania elements don't really work because the puzzles require you to go back like two screens or, you know, something like that. They're nothing really crazy, but I did find it a little bit frustrating that there's, there's no real map and I would sometimes get lost trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. Uh, not necessarily with the puzzle, but going, um, to like the next objective, sometimes with puzzles for sure. But like for the most part, it, the puzzles were super easy and I just had to get to the next area, but like, I didn't know where that next area would be because parts of it were locked off or, you know, what have you. Um, the story in this is okay. Uh, I'm not really sure that I understood it. There's a bunch of like techno babble that I didn't understand through like the dialogue and the plot itself. And even like Googling some of the words that like I had no clue what the fuck they were. Um, they left me with, I felt like just as much, uh, as much knowledge as to what I had before I had Googled the word. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really like work for me. Um, there are some emotional moments for sure, especially when you go into the, uh, the creator's memories and you kind of see like his backstory and like why he created Narita boy and all that stuff. Um, there is one part in there though, that is really weird where the real life kind of mixes with the computer world and it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and kind of just felt weird and uh i don't want to say off-putting but it was one of those things i was like huh all right (laughs) um yeah i i I liked this game i know i felt like i was kind of negative there at the end uh but i think that the music and the the overall style uh 
really do a heck of a lot for me. Um, I think it speaks to me because I love 80 shit. Uh, but I also kind of think that the overall experience is good. It's nothing exceptional. And I, I, I don't mean that as a knock, just, I don't think that I'd point to this game being a bastion of what all platformers should be like. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Check it out on game pass. Um, yeah, it looks fucking weird, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because it literally looks like I'm playing through an 80s TV. Yep. I mean. Yeah, it even has that sort of like CRT like monitor yes. thing where it, like the scan lines go down your screen. Right. And that's why it's so fucking weird to me because it it's enticing. You don't see anything like that. Um, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, not even Cuphead is close, but it's not really because it's something entirely different. But it just, aesthetically, I've never seen anything like it, and it looks really fucking cool, man. This is the one you were telling me about, that I would love the soundtrack, right? Yep. You would love the soundtrack. Well, it looks neat. And I'm listening to the Steam video. Uh, yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> that That's my shit. Yep. It's real good stuff. Um. Well, yeah, uh... So, so, what do you want? To I next? have been playing uh, Final Fantasy VII. So this one will be brief. Uh, Josh, did we touch on this in, on on the Ratchet and Clank podcast? Uh, yeah, briefly. Briefly, and you guys can find out exactly what we're talking about if you do the patron thing. Um. Anyway, I've never played this game in full before. I know the story. I know the characters. I know how it all ends, um, but I've never played it from start to finish. And I'm kind of glad that I waited until this moment to do so. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it, and the game is just incredibly stunning. It is so beautiful. Um, I've not made it too far in thus far, which is why I'm going to keep it pretty short, but... I've played maybe a few hours into it, and I love the combat. It's everything that I could have oh, hoped so that it good, would be. Right? It is so fluid. Um, I never feel like I feel like I'm always in control, even though it gets chaotic. And at times it can be a little challenging. Um, it's always well within grasp. And it, it keeps me like usually in those kind of games. I'm like, oh, another battle. But, you know, in this game, I'm like, yes. Like, I want that action sequence. I want that combat. Uh, it's just really good, dude. And I'm really digging just the cinematics, how absolutely visually stunning they are. Um, essentially, to tell you where I'm at in the game, which is not far. I just had my first hallucination with Sephiroth. Um, so. Oh, yeah. You're not very far at all. No. I think maybe I made it past that even. I don't know. But wait. Yeah, I totally made it past that, actually. Uh, I got off the train. That's okay. Yeah, I'm off the train. Um, so going forward, I'm, I'm probably cause another game that I'll talk about in just a minute has completely ransacked my time. Destiny. I said it at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm going to try and get a good bit of time played in this as much as I can. 
Um, I'm in kind of an unfortunate in an unfortunate trifecta because I have this to play. I'm heavily playing Destiny right now, and Ghost of Tsushima comes out on Friday. Um, so, a little torn, but it is very interesting enough to keep me coming back. Um, I know you guys have praised it highly, I know, and just, I don't know, I'm, re- I'm ready to finish it, but at the same time, I can't stop playing the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I totally feel you on that. Uh, I played the Back for Blood beta. Um, so this feels like Left 4 Dead 3 on a gameplay level. Like it just nails the feeling of those first two games, uh, from a gameplay perspective. Um, that said, I feel like the campaigns on this feel a little long. I remember the Left 4 Dead campaigns being, uh, like I remember being able to knock them out relatively quickly, like maybe, an hour at most. Like, I feel like I remember those things being super short or well, not necessarily super short, but like super reasonable. And the campaigns in this felt like they were twice the length. Um, so I don't know how much play this will get for me in terms of like the way that I used to play left for dead. I would hop in, I'd play a mission and then I'd be done sort of thing. I could go about the rest of my day, but, uh, these are a lot longer. Um, so outside of, cause this really, I don't have much to say. I only played like maybe two and a half campaigns during the beta, uh, period. Cause I just had a lot of stuff going on. Um, but the, the new, thing about this is there's a like card mechanic where like you can build your own deck of cards that will help sway the gameplay in certain aspects like you'll have one that will like up your healing by three percent when it's played or um you know monsters will do like ten percent more damage or you know stuff like that and it could be I feel like a really awesome way to keep the game feeling fresh each campaign, uh, especially if they launch with multiple ones, right? Like if they launch with like four, I, which I think is what the original Left 4 Dead launched with, and then they add on stuff, the, the way that the card mechanic works, it could really make things stay fresh. Um, I just kind of hope that it doesn't become a sort of loot box type system uh, because that could be annoying. Uh, I don't want to have people paying to have like really good cards. Like that could just really drive me nuts. Um, But overall the game is, uh, it's going to be fun. I really have no doubt about it. Um, I mean, this beta was fun. Uh, I had heard some people were experiencing like glitches and bugs and stuff. I didn't experience anything like that. Um, but you know, I'd definitely be willing to sit down, uh, with another left for dead game, which is what this is. Um, I do want to address one thing real quick. This was not a fucking beta. Stop calling things betas that aren't the real thing. The game went gold while this quote-unquote beta was out. Like, dude, come on, guys. This was a public QA. That's what it was. That and you were stress-testing your servers. Like, 
Call it what it is. It's fine. Stop calling things betas. Especially when there are great betas out there like Splitgate. Yes, this is this is true. Mm-hmm. Is that the last thing on your list? No, it is not. Okay. But I'm not going to talk about Destiny 2. Oh, okay. Cool. I've played a shit ton of it. Everyone should try it. It's good. Yay. Splitgate's great. Splitgate is fucking great. We've all mm-hmm. three played it. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. Dude, I played it for like three hours today. Oh, dude, I've probably put like 15 hours into this game. Eat, Dude, easy since I downloaded it. Easy. Yeah. It, uh, this game is so much fun. I've downloaded it on PC. I've downloaded it on PS5, and it's great on both. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, one thing I wanted to point out real quick is that it is a free-to-play shooter from 1047 Games, and they self-published it, which I thought was really cool. Um, you don't see a whole lot of indie teams, uh, self-publishing a free-to-play game like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my God, did they do it well. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. For sure. So this appeals to me because, I mean, we, we've spoken about it before, but Halo was a huge part of my life for a very long time, specifically two and three. Um, but then really three and four, uh, three to reach heavily is what I just spent most of my youth on. <laughs> I mean, that's everything. I, I was, uh, super competitive with it. I went to MLG tournaments, um, I did all that shit. I mean, it was just a huge part of my life. And then it kind of fell off after reach. I didn't care for four. I don't even think I played five. Just, I, I didn't care for it. It wasn't the game that I knew anymore. I understand that the game evolved and it, it, it was good in its own way. It just lost its appeal to me, unfortunately. Um, and then flash forward, here we are at Splitgate. This shit feels like I stepped into a, a, a baby of Halo 3 Reach and Portal. Honestly. And it's fucking perfect. Like, I mean, it's not perfect because occasionally I'll get kicked off the game for no fucking reason whatsoever. That's fine. It's beta. Cool. Really? It's whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's hey. happened. I submit a re- crash report every time. I'm sure that helps them loads. Um but no, man, I, I love everything that they're doing here. Uh, the portal system's cool. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it's like just the maps, they feel good. They feel like the good arena style, symmetrical, um, just Halo feeling maps, man. Even the game modes, they're all Halo. They're oddball. Team Shoddy Snipers, Team SWAT. Yeah. It's it's all Halo. Honestly. Yeah, it it's feels really like a cool. Halo 3 playlist. It Just a giant Halo 3 playlist. And the gun mechanics, the gunplay itself... It's all fluid and natural, man. Dude, the I love guns it. feel like Halo 3. That's what gets me the most is the guns yeah. themselves feel like Halo 3 guns. Right. And, I'm, and I'm loving every fucking second of it. Yeah, battle rifles, assault rifles. You start with the DMR. There's pistols, you know, mm-hmm. rail guns, all that shit. It's great, man. Yeah. You both are Halo fans. I fucking, as soon as I saw this game and I watched the trailer for it, I was like, I'm downloading this immediately. Uh, I think I had also seen Josh talk about it in the Discord a little bit and uh, Gilbezi, and I downloaded it. Dude, I'm I'm not joking. First game, the first match I loaded into, I went like 24 and 2. I mean, you're probably playing bots, but that's fine. Yeah, but <laughs> even against bots, against a game I've never played before, I still didn't expect yeah. to do that fucking well. Um, yeah. But then even every game after that, I was still going, I think the next match where I know I was playing with people because they were cussing me out, um, which is really funny. 
Uh, I went the very next match. I think I hit 29 and three and I had a kid fucking scream at me, bro. This kid was yelling at the top of his lungs at me because it was fucking it was a it was a shoddy and snipers game mode. And I had killed this same kid at least four times in the span of 60 seconds. And he was fucking mad. I that was the funniest shit that I've ever experienced playing a game in a hot fucking minute. Um, Because, you know, like on the PS5, if you don't have a headset attached, uh, it the mic on the controller still picks you up unless you go out of your way to mute it, which I completely forget about every single time. I, <laughs> I do <up>. too. <laughs> um, so I'll just be, I'll just be talking shit. I'll be talking mad shit. And uh, like I had one guy was like, Hey bro, can you chill out? I'm, I'm doing my best out here. And I was like, Oh fuck. I didn't even realize this shit was <laughs> off. Um, that kid, uh, uh, like I said, I had a kid literally scream at me and I just had, I just, it was so funny because it was just the sound of a 10 year old screaming coming from my touchpad. And Madison was like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, that, that's the good old days. Honestly, like it felt like I was in a Halo 3 lobby again, honestly. Yeah. It was fucking That's what we great. used to live for is to make kids scream. Um, but yeah, oh, mm, don't like that. But yeah, this game is great. I'm very excited for it to, I don't know, come out of beta or whatever it is free games do. I don't yeah, know. I have no idea what the goal is. Yeah, I, I don't I'll either, but whatever, we'll see. But it's great. You should try it. Uh, yeah, the game is super fun. Uh, the whole Halo Meets Portal thing is 100% accurate. Uh, it's fun gunplay. Uh I, you said that you had mis- messed around with the portal stuff, right, Dylan? I haven't. Yeah, I mean, there's a really weird sound happening inside of my house that sounds like bubbles popping. I can't even make this up. Uh, like, it's almost concerning because if that's a ghost, it's the perfect way to kill me because I'm just interested enough in it to walk away to see what the <laughs> fuck it is. Lol. <laughs> um, no, I did mess around with the portal shit. Um, I think it's pretty cool what they're doing because it just works. Um, it's a very easy, convenient way to traverse the map. It's a very easy way to um, kind of, you know, do some five head plays and get around your opponents and stuff like that. Um, it, it works very, uh, very easily. If you're playing on console, it is just a matter of using the left or right D pad buttons. And I think on PC it's uh, Q and E, but essentially, I mean, literally you're shooting a portal just like in the, you know, game portal, if you've ever heard of that. <laughs> um, and it, it just it adds a level of gameplay that you really didn't think you would ever think about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like who who thought Halo needed portals? It doesn't. The gameplay is just fine without it. I, I see. I would say most of the people who play the game do not utilize that feature. No. Yet. No. I think it's coming uh inevitably like you're going to start seeing a lot more people utilize it just to get around and traverse the maps um Hmm. like i I feel like people still throw the grenades at me in the game the grenades don't even damage me they just they're used to close the portal essentially um so that's that's kind of a funny aspect as people are still misplaying in that regard but um i have not it it added yeah it it literally just it's it's not used to damage uh opponents it's used to close down rifts portals whatever um i fuck if i say that one more time that's that's a lot of p words um yep so 
definitely definitely worth the shot just to try that alone because who would have thought that you know mm-hmm. that's not really i can't think of another multiplayer game that's utilized the p word as much as um this has i i've never seen that used and it just it works very well uh, it doesn't feel overpowered or underpowered it's just right because everyone can do it and everyone can just make their lives easier and mobility is super quick i use it because i forget what map it is but there's a very nice map that's kind of reminiscent of midship from halo 2 um and kind of like an outside perspective almost maybe it is inside i don't remember mm. but um, essentially there's two bases and on the top floor you can look out upon the rest of the battlefield so that's where i like to stay a lot because i can i can you know support the team i can do what i need to from up there put down shots down range whatever but all around you on the wall are these you can only use the portals on these certain textures but i have it set up to where i can drop down low if i need to like if i can see people are coming up to me like i i have it to where i can drop down come up from behind them like there's there's a lot that you can do with it and they just made it work it's just a really off the wall idea that just somehow made halo more fun it's not halo but it plays like halo yep yeah uh well okay i'm enjoying it that was anticlimactic (laughs) yeah it's good uh check it out great game um all right last one i'm gonna talk about before we can get out of here uh i played the wild at heart this is another game pass game uh this is an indie puzzle adventure game from moonlight kids that's a small team that's working remotely between atlanta portland oregon and uh spokane washington Uh, i thought that was kind of cool because you know the whole atlanta connection um, but the first thing that grabs your attention, uh, in this game, I think is the art. And that's probably the best place to, to start. It's very stylized, almost picture book esque, uh, and has like this little bit of flair to it. Like, uh, when your characters move, it kind of looks like they're like, uh, I don't want to say marionettes, but like their legs kind of flop and stuff. Uh, so it has that sort of picture book quality to it and it's really kind of unique and charming i I really kind of like that um the music here is also really good it's very soothing and calm um but there's there's still like earworms that'll get in your head and like just stay there sort of thing um i really like the music in this game a lot actually uh the gameplay very much inspired by pikmin with the main conceit being that you have these puzzles to solve and using different variants of these like woodland creatures is how you solve these puzzles. Um, so for instance, you'll have like a, and it's not even necessarily the puzzles. It's also like fighting the enemy. So like you'll have like fire blobs. So you have to throw the fire. Like, uh, I forget what they're called. Um, the fire Pikmin (laughs) at them to fight. Otherwise, your others will like die from like heat damage and stuff. Um, but so the puzzles in this aren't particularly hard. I didn't really find this game hard at all, uh, which is fine. Like I, again, I said this, uh, I think in our ratchet and clink spoiler cast, um, that I don't necessarily need every game to be hard or even like challenging, but, uh, I do think that uh, that is a sticking point for some people. So um, I didn't find it to be hard. There were some things that felt frustrating to me because there was like a lack of direction. Uh, Like several times I found myself saying, where the fuck am I supposed to go? 
or like, what am I supposed to do for this puzzle? And part of it would be that like I hadn't entered the right area yet or that like I didn't have the right Pikmin. I'm just going to use it because I don't know what, I don't remember what they're called. Um, to like finish the puzzle. So that got a little bit frustrating for me in some ways. Um, the game feels repetitive. Uh, and once you've figured out what to do with certain enemies or map areas, there isn't much more to them than that initial experience. So you don't have to really think about anything. You just kind of go through the motions. And I kind of found it to be boring. Um, towards the latter half of the game because I, I got towards the end and I was like, I j- kind of just want this game to be over. Um, which is weird considering it's only like a 10 to 12 hour game. Uh, the story is w- the big sticking point that the studio um, was trying to sell. They said, you know, I, I looked at their press release. They were like, this is a story rich uh, adventure game, blah, blah, blah. I went in and there is some charm to the writing. I think that uh, some of it is really charming, Um, especially in regards to making the characters feel unique and different from one another. Like, for instance, one of the first characters you meet, his name is Greycoat. And when he's talking to you, he says probably uh, at the end of something that should be like a definitive statement. And he'll, so he'll say something like, yeah, this tea kettle will cook tea probably that sort of thing. And it's that I just, I personally latched onto that. I thought that that was really cute. Um, the story itself, however, is really kind of muddled and undercooked. Uh, the game begins with a boy running away from home and there's like little dream sequences with wake seeing his dad watching TV in the dark after, after his mom had died. And I thought that this was supposed to be the crux of the story, but it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and it kind of doesn't seem to have anything to do with the story outside of providing a reason for wake to be in the woods, which is kind of frustrating uh i really really thought that this was supposed to be what the story was about and then the real through line that sort of works is when kirby enters the fray and she's the uh the character that your that that wake is supposed to meet in the forest before he kind of gets kidnapped (laughs) by these these uh like woodland creatures or whatever um And her story is kind of about finding her place. Uh, But even her story doesn't work because it, it's not about her finding her place so much as it's a weird analog for like, or I don't want to say analog because that's not really true. Uh, But it's like a weird, like you're destined to be here sort of thing. And I just was like, she didn't find that. That was kind of told to her. This is weird. Um, and I I hate to like put this much on the game, but like I really feel like they focused on creating unique and quirky characters and kind of the world surrounding those characters. 
And then they just kind of forgot to write a story to tie it together. And they did that at the last minute. Um, I wanted to like this game. I think it, it has really charming music and uh, and visuals. And I think that those are rewarding enough to warrant a play. But I think at best this game is just kind of okay. Um, I would not go into it expecting the next great indie title because this is not it. Um, it's good. Or, well, it's, it's okay. It's not a complete waste of time. But uh, this is not something that I would recommend very highly. Unless you have Game Pass. Unless you have Game Pass, yeah. Um, and then it's uh, more or less free, so why not? Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get to our picks of the week and get out of here. Uh, Can I get mine out of the way first? Because I got a dip. Yep, go ahead. So, no, honestly. Um, my pick of the week is a YouTuber by the name of, I think it's Azakura. I don't remember because my phone died and I can't look at the doc. Um, but... It will. He is literally the first video that comes up if you just go to YouTube and type in uh, Evangelion. He has a video called Goodbye to Evangelion, and it's basically just his summaration of the events of the final film and how he feels about them, and I think he did a really good job at nailing uh, everything that movie was about and pretty much encompasses my entire opinion on that film. Uh, definitely watch that film and check his shit out because it was really cool. Cool. All right. Um, mine is also a YouTube video. Uh, this is from design docs, uh, on YouTube, a great little, uh, channel that goes into like video game design, uh, and kind of like how certain things should be made and how they actually are made and stuff like that. Uh, but it, uh, is the video called, let me pull it up. Final Fantasy VIII's divisive junction system. Um, so this video really goes in depth on basically the I what I think uh, a lot of people credit as being the reason that Final Fantasy VIII is bad. I don't think that this system is really all that bad, and this really goes into depth into. Uh, both the good, uh, like the, the positives and the negatives. And, uh, I think it's a really good video. So, uh, go check it out. <clears throat> and then mine's just a song. I'm not even gonna, not even gonna hype it up. It's called Polaroids by Paul Conrad. You should check it out. It'll make you feel good. Cool. Awesome. Uh, well, with that said... As always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Bop, Hunting Pixels, and the Culture Bop family of content. Culture Bop is available on Twitter at Culture Bop under, or Culture underscore Bop, Instagram at Culture underscore Bop, on Facebook at The Culture Bop, and on YouTube, search Culture Bop. Uh, hunting Pixels is available on Twitter at Pixels Hunting, on Instagram at Hunting underscore Pixels CB. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at the bebopman182 on Instagram at bebopman182 and on Twitch at the underscore bebopman. Uh, Dylan is available on Twitter at omdizzytv, on Instagram at omdizzy, on Twitch at omdizzy, and on YouTube at omdizzy. 
And finally, we have Austin on Twitter at Big Papa Plays, on Instagram at Big Papa Stevens underscore, or at Big Papa Plays. Uh, he's on Twitch at Big Papa Plays and on TikTok at Big Papa Plays. And finally, if you're looking to support the podcast or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking as Culture Pop, then go over to patreon.com slash culture pop and toss us a pledge. We're offering some very cool perks. And once we start hitting our goals, even more content will be on the way. Uh, we talked about earlier in the episode, but one of the perks is exclusive episodes of the podcast, uh, just for patrons. And the, uh, the one, that we have done is now live. Um, it's a Ratchet and Clank spoiler cast. Uh, it is available for, uh, I think it's the $10 tier and up. Uh, I'm working on ways to change these tiers up to provide as much value as possible for, for others. Um, anyone who's even considering coming in, but, um, but yeah, so, that is uh that is up now um and you can go support us over there so go check it out and we are eternally grateful for our patrons you guys make this show go uh but yeah that's it that is the end of our show so until next time goodbye <laughs>